Let's turn in our Bibles then to the first portion of Scripture which we read in the prophecies of Isaiah chapter 64. And as God would help me, I'll concentrate on verses 6 to 8. Isaiah chapter 64 verses 6 to 8. But we are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And there is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us, and have consumed us, because of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you our potter, and all we are the work of your hand. At this time in the history of the people of God, Israel were in a desperately low spiritual condition. God, as it were, had said to them in their decadency, now look, all can be forgiven. It's just a pure gospel in the Old Testament. All can be forgiven if you repent and if you return to me. All can be forgiven. But Israel were in such a desperately poor spiritual condition, they did not know how to return to God. They did not know how, as it were, to confess their sins to them. And so what we have here in these verses as far as I can make out, you have the prophet Isaiah here, as it were, teaching Israel how to confess their sin and how to get right with God again. That's essentially what he is saying in these three verses. So as God would help us, let us look at them under two headings. First of all, the prayer of confession. How to confess our sins before God. And secondly, the plea for mercy. We could, if you like, call the two headings the problem, our sin. And secondly, the remedy, God's mercy, God's grace. So first of all then, the prayer of confession in verses 6 and 7. We are all like an unclean thing. God created man upright in the garden. But he became sinful. He perverted that which was right. 
Note how it's expressed here. It's not so much what we sinners have done. That's not the real problem now. The real problem now is what we are. Look how it's expressed. We are all as an unclean thing. That's what we are. We are not sinful because we've done, we've committed sins. We sin because we are sinful. That's the problem the human race has. You see, Adam fell into sin. You and I do not fall into sin. You and I are born into sin. We start off with corrupt hearts, corrupt beings. Therefore we sin automatically. Listen, do you get up in the morning and say, well, I suppose I'm born a sinner. I better get on with sinning. Do you say that? Of course you don't. It comes. It's natural to us. Because we're born in sin, shaken in iniquity, and we have to confess that before God. And that's what we've been taught first of all here. We have to confess our sinfulness and our sinnership. We have to confess before God our tendencies. We have to confess before God our inclinations. We're inclined, are we not? Inclined to sin. It comes. That's our inclination. We have to confess our readiness, our willingness to sin. And all we have to do to sin. Many evangelical preachers have to confess that they've often gone out of a service and been confronted and been told, don't you dare call me a sinner. But that's who we are. What have you got to do to sin? You've just to do your own thing. We were made to please God. Nowadays, our culture teaches us do what you're comfortable with. If that's what you're comfortable with, fine. Be who you are. Shame on them. Be who you are. We are sinners. Plague with sin. Be what we should be. Be what God intended us to be. We are all an unclean thing. That's the first stage. But you know, it gets worse. It gets worse. Second stage, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Now tell me, when you do something that you know is wrong, what do you do to put it right? comes to you naturally to put it right? Is it not this old? I'll do something good and make up for it. Isn't that what comes to us naturally? What's Isaiah teaching us tonight? 
all our righteousnesses, all our good works, as it were, they are filthy rags. They aren't pluses. They're actually minuses in our account with God. You see, if we treat our relationship to God as it were a balance sheet our account with God is to be in the credit balance it's not just to be all square God made man righteous and we're to produce right works but now having been born in shame and sin having the total inclination just to do our thing what we want then our righteousnesses are not good things at all we're actually adding to our account instead of subtracting to it by doing what we consider good works and this comes over very clearly in uh, oh I think it's Isaiah 5 I'm not sure when the the prophet speaks about Yes, now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up, cleared out its stones, planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst. He also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good Grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. We notice that we are not fruitless. We either bring forth good fruit to God's glory, or we bring forth evil fruit to our shame. That's the result of sin. We are all <coughs> like an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses, all these things which we think are doing good and improving our situation, are actually making our situation worse because they're not perfect. And God is a perfect being. God is an absolute being and God is absolutely perfect. Therefore, by nature, God requires not the best that you can do, but God requires absolute perfection from us. And we can't do it. We are all unclean thing and all our righteousnesses like filthy rags it gets worse <laughs> third stage third development we all fade as a leaf well what's the principle there it's a principle of deterioration We're not getting better. We're getting worse. 
were fading like a leaf. Young people also often think, oh, it'll be far easier when I'm old to become a Christian. Don't be deceived. Wrong. It's far more difficult as you grow older. You're set in your ways and you can't get out of the rut you're in. It gets harder and harder as you age to become a Christian. We're fading like a leaf. You see, the nature of sin is to spread. The nature of sin is to deepen, get a greater grip of the man and the woman and the boy and the girl. Develop, control the whole person. Fading like a leaf. We have only so long to get it right. Only so long to alter the situation if we can't. We're all like an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. And we all fade like a leaf. And our iniquities, the fourth thing, our iniquities have taken, uh, our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. We've separated. We've gone astray from the only source of reference, the only source of help, the only source of supply, the only source of contact. We've cut ourselves off from the source of help. We're isolated ourselves. We've done it to ourselves. Alienation. Our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. I found it very, very interesting. This term, this Hebrew term that's translated here, taken us away. I found it startling. It's translated elsewhere in the, in the authorised version, uh, in the New King James Version, and there are lots of verses. The original word is translated at least 14, if not 18 times, is translated as armor-bearer. Isn't that something? Our iniquities like the wind are like an armor-bearer. Or like armor. What's the point? It's this. Such is the devastation, such is the damage which sin does to us. Iniquities, transgression and sin. It's like coating ourselves in armour so that when the truth comes to us, it just bounces off the armour. doesn't penetrate. That is the depth of our iniquity. That is the depth of our perversion. Our sinful we're plating ourselves in armour so that the truth can't be. 
just bounce off. Pretty serious, isn't it? It's a pretty serious state of affairs. But there is something that can help. As I said at the very beginning, God had said to him, look, all can be forgiven if you just repent and return to God. Just call on my name. So what's the last stage in the confession? What's the next stage? Listen. There is none. There is no one who calls on your name. Isn't that pathetic? Isn't that sad? God has come, as it were, the second time to the human race. He came the first time in the garden and said to our first father, Adam, do this and you'll live forever. And remember, when God said that to him, it came naturally to Adam to do what was right. But as our Bible tells us, God made man upright, but he sought out many inventions. First time, the first message, the covenant of works, do and live. But then, when we cannot do to live, God comes the second time in the gospel and says, this time I really want you to be in heaven. You don't have to do anything. You have just to believe me. Just believe in my son. Just believe that he took away your iniquity at the place called Calvary. That he died there in the place of sinners. The way to heaven is no longer by being good enough. The way to glory, the way to forgiveness is not by doing something perfectly anymore. The way to pardon, the way to peace, the way to getting right with God now is believing by faith. But even that, mankind is just not interested. It's not my thing. I'm not into religion. Have you heard it? It's a common answer. Not my thing. No one calls on your name. No one stirs himself up to take hold of you. Unbelief is the greatest sin. It's a root sin. If you're listening in, if you're here, and you think you've got a problem, and you say, I've got to sort myself out first before God will listen to me. No, no. You believe first. Psalm 130, verse 4. I've, one of my favourite, 130 verse 4. But yet with thee forgiveness is 
that feared thou mayest be. You see, if you're not a Christian, if you don't understand the gospel, you'll think this. Well, God will not listen to me till I sort myself out first. But I stop this problem, stop this sin. God will not listen to me. Listen. You'll never sort yourself out first. Only Christ can sort you out. Only Christ can deliver you from sin. And that's why Psalm 130 verse 4, but yet with thee forgiveness is, and the next word which could be translated, in order that, in order that you can fear God properly aright, there's first of all forgiveness. Faith in Christ is the way to God. Only way. But the answer of mankind is what? Oh, it's not my thing. Not in this. How tragic. How tragic. How sad. <laughs> Time to change the subject, isn't it? Let's change the subject. That's the problem. That's the prayer of confession. What's the second thing we're being taught here in verse 8? But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are potter, and all we are the work of your hand. What's the answer? What's the remedy? is not all negative. Without faith, you see, it's utterly impossible to please God. It's not all negative. Oh, there is the negative. I remember hearing power in your religion, you need two hours, like electricity, the negative and the positive. If you just go one word, all positive, no power. All negative, no power. You need two words, the negative and the positive. A genuine acknowledgement of self-inflicted ruin and utter helplessness always leads to a genuine desire for cleansing, a genuine desire to be remolded into righteousness, like the potter with the clay, which is why we read what we read in Jeremiah. O oh, house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter? Jeremiah 18, verse 6, or verse 5. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. You can do nothing 
the answer. That's the hope. But God is sovereign. God is under no obligation. But you know this? He has put himself under oath. Now just think of that. The holy God who's been so offended by our sin. We marred the image of God on us and we ruined its earth. We caused a disjunction to happen in the universe. Our sin, man's sin, caused it all. Wouldn't you think it should be us going down on our knees pleading with God, of mercy, of mercy. Here's God going on oath to us. Two immutable things where it is impossible for God to lie. Those of us who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope before us, all this that we might have a strong consolation, a reliable, genuine, secure hope in Christ if we ask for mercy. God has bound himself. God has bound himself to hear the cry <coughs> of the poor and the needy who are helpless in their sins. He's bound himself. Wouldn't you think it should be us who should bound ourselves to him? But no, God goes on oath to us to assure us none perish who him trust. That's the gospel. It's a life-changing gospel. It's the only one there is. We talk about, well, it, God is sovereign. But what encourages us all, surely, it's the sovereign will of a God who loves showing mercy, who delights in forgiving sinners if they'll just confess and believe. That's the gospel. That's the life-changing gospel. And God so loves mercy, he sent his son <coughs> to pay the cost. He sent his son to the place called Calvary to pay the cost of our redemption. It's free. Actually, it's not free. The gospel actually isn't free. It's only free to us. Free to you. Free to me. Oh, it costs a lot. It costs Christ his blood. But he gave it lovingly. He gave his life lovingly. So what does the potter do? When the clay is marred, when the clay is spoiled, tell me, what did we read? Did he throw away the clay? When it came out marred, did he throw it away? We come out of the womb marred, a marred image of God. Does God throw us away? What does he do? He remakes the clay. He reshapes the clay. But you have to ask him. Ezekiel 36, 37. I think it is that wonderful account of 
uh, a new heart. I will yet be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. Have you asked God to do it for you? Have you asked God to reshape you? Thus says the Lord God. Yes, Ezekiel 36, 37. Thus says the Lord God. I will also let the house of Israel inquire on me to do this for them. Have you asked them? Have you asked the Lord to do it for you? There's wonderful examples in the Bible of God remodeling, remolding the clay. You've got, in the Old Testament, you've got Jacob. Obviously, I like Jacob because I'm a twin, and so is he. Think of, think of him, think of him, marred, double-crossed his father from his deathbed, eh? What do you make of that? That's pretty law, eh? Double-crossing your father on his deathbed. He's, he's actually called a twister. That's Jacob. But tonight he's in glory. God reshaped him. God remodeled him. God make him a new creature in Christ. What about Manasseh? Oh, Manasseh. His sins. He had a godly father. And you know the first thing Manasseh did when he became king? The first thing he did was to undo the godly reforms of his godly father. To undo them. Fancy starting off your kingship that way. Manasseh worshipped the sun, the moon and the stars. Manasseh dabbled in the occult. Conferred with witches and wizards. Manasseh to please the pagan god Molech actually burnt his own child in the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Burnt his own child to please a pagan god. But Manasseh was remolded. God took the clay of Manasseh and made him a new person. In Christ, and He can do the same for you. God is still reshaping, remodeling corrupt worms of the dust. You go to the New Testament, weak, watery, wimp, silent Christ there is recorded, is it? In John 1 52, oh, somewhere I can't remember exactly the reference. Christ looked at him, stared at him. You're silent, a weak, watery wimp of a person. And see, when I'm finished, if you're silent, you'll be Peter, a rock like the cliffs in Harris. And that's what Christ made of Peter. 
And according to secular history, it's not according to the Bible, but as I understand it, according to secular history, there's no reason to doubt it. Peter was crucified. And as they were crucifying him, Peter said, I am not worthy to die the same way as my Saviour. Crucify me upside down. And that's what they did to Simon Peter, according to history. Peter, the weak, watery one, Christ made him Petros, rock. Small of Tarsus, walking down the Damascus road with his pocket documents to capture the Christians. Saul of Tarsus felt it his God-given duty to destroy Christendom. He felt it was his God-given duty. In John 16, verse 2, of Christ saying, the day will come when people think they're doing God's service by destroying you. Saul of Tarsus was one. But on that Damascus road, he meets Christ. A dyed-in-the-wool religious bigot becomes the great apostle Paul. History's full of it. The Bible's full of it. Mary Magdalene. What do you think of her? You and me. I used to think whenever I would hear or read of Mary Magdalene, I would picture in my mind this beautiful, soft, gentle, sweet girl. So pleasant, so pleasing, so happy, so joyful to meet. No, no, no. Not when Christ met her first. Do you know what she was like when Christ met her first? She had seven devils. But Christ remolded the clay. Christ remolded the clay. Mary Magdalene now, a different person. And you know this? Christ is the same today. Christ is the same tonight. Christ can do for you what he did for Mary Magdalene, what he did for Saul of Tarsus, what he did for Simon Peter. What he did for King Manasseh. What he did for Jacob. is the same yesterday, today and forever. John tells us in his letter, or his gospel, his letter. Everyone that believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Reborn. Born again. Reshaped. Remolded by the potter. Have you asked him to do that for you? He'll hear you and he'll answer you. May God, the Holy Spirit, make his word effectual to every one of us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven. We pray that you would take the things of Christ and that you would make them ours. 
tonight, here, in this place. You are here. Your spirit is present. Please reveal Christ to every one of us. Please turn our hearts to embrace him. Keep us in your love. Keep us in your fear. We pray all in Christ's name for your glory. Amen. We'll conclude our service for worship by singing the last four verses, I think it is, of the psalm we've been singing, Psalm 31. Psalm 31, verse 21. All praise and thanks be to the Lord, for he hath magnified his wondrous love to me within a city fortified. For from thine eyes cut off I am, I in my haste had said, My voice yet heardst thou, when to thee with cries my moan I made. O love the Lord, all ye his saints, because the Lord doth guard the faithful, and he plenteously proud doers doth reward. Be of good courage, and he strength unto your heart shall send. All ye his hope and confidence doth on the Lord depend. Psalm 31, verse 21, to the end, to God's grace. All
be with us all, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.